Scripture is in 1 John. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 John, chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Well, good morning again, church. As you can see from our scripture, we have some themes going on in that, that verse, those, those, those verses there, right? Truth about God, uh, truth about sin, uh, which, which means when you talk about sin, truth about obedience, and then we're talking about confession, okay? So those would be the themes that are sort of woven together this morning. So what I want to do before I jump into this, to this sermon, though, this morning, is I want us to listen to a song, Okay? Uh, this is a this is a, a man singing Psalm 32, a portion of Psalm 32 that deals with a lot of those themes. So so really, as he's singing, just just listen to the the words of Scripture, what he's saying, and what that means for us in our walk, brother. If you would, won't you play that song for us? Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience has been forgiven whose sin is put out of sight yes what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty when I refuse to confess my sin my body wasted away trying to hide my guilt I said to myself I will confess my rebellion to the Lord You forgave me All my guilt is gone You forgave me All my guilt is gone You forgave is gone. You forgave me. All my guilt 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 is gone. You forgave All my guilt is gone. 
church, aren't those the most beautiful words you've ever heard? (laughs) You forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Talk about something that I need to tell myself every single day. When my heart is pulled away from God, and I don't just dip my toes in sin, I dive in head first. To go back to the truth of God's word that that he's forgiven me, that my guilt is gone because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. And I, I love the way the song starts out with sort of one little voice of a child and then a crescendo of voices of God's people joined together confessing that truth. That's right? amazing. And that's what we're talking about today. Okay? The heart of the message is confession and forgiveness. Okay, so turn to 1 John here and we'll, we'll just dive right in. Uh, one of the most famous atheists in Hollywood was asked on one occasion, if there is a God... And if that God should speak to you, what would you most want to hear him say? And the answer this man gave was was very insightful. In fact, his answer speaks for all mankind. He said, if there is a God who should speak to me, I would most want to hear him say three words. You are forgiven. You see, even the professing atheist knows. He knows deep down inside, that something is not right in the heart of men. And the Bible tells us that the something that's not right is sin. Sin is anything that does not conform to the holy character of God. It is the wickedness and evil that's rooted in our very nature. And listen to me, humanity has a sin problem. It is our most fundamental problem, and it affects every single one of us. Men, women, and children, old and young, believer and unbeliever. But as we all know, sin has never been a popular topic, right? People will go to great lengths to hide their sin, to rationalize their sin, or to redefine their sin. And really, what we see happening today is an outright denial of the existence of sin. You see, sin implies authority. It implies a divine law and a divine lawgiver. It implies right and wrong, holiness and disobedience, standards and expectations. It implies the need of a savior. All concepts that are mocked and ridiculed today as old-fashioned and obsolete and intolerant. In this progressively individualistic and secular society, our rights dictate that no value judgments be made in regard to our choices and behavior and beliefs. That is, as long as you believe the right thing, as long as you believe the gospel of the new normal. You see, the new normal says there is no normal. Everything goes. Every opinion and belief and lifestyle is granted equal validity. In response to claims about truth, the new normal follows Pontius Pilate and says, what is truth? See, in this rush to be free from the shackles of a fun-killing God, the new normal says, I am God. And so what was once called evil is now being called good. What was once called delusion is now being called an alternative lifestyle. What once caused shame and guilt is now the source of pride. Man has conspired together to kill sin. Not, Not sin itself, though. No, men are desperately wicked. They've set out to kill the word sin, the idea of sin. And the world congratulates itself because the concept of sin is on the fast track to extinction. But the Apostle John has an altogether different understanding of both sin's severity and a Savior's necessity. And that's what he wants us to understand. Okay, Because sadly, this new worldview isn't so new. And it isn't limited to unbelievers. You see, having grown weary of the truth, even some Christians have erased the word sin from their vocabulary. They've presumed upon God's grace, refusing to take seriously the reality and consequences of their sin. 
claiming closeness with God, but then defying his will, choosing to live contrary to his holiness. Even for Christian people, the three hardest words to say are, I have sinned. But listen to me, John says, our brother says, the only way you will ever hear God say, you are forgiven, is if you speak the words, I have sinned. You see, sin is real. To say otherwise is to call God a liar. And when we sin, we have one of two choices. We can choose to hide it and deny it, lying to God, to others, and to ourselves, or we can confess admitting our sin to God and experiencing the cleansing and forgiveness made possible by the blood of Jesus. And yet, as easy as that choice may seem, it's complicated by the fact that there are as many wrong ideas about sin as there are false ideas about Jesus. You know, find out what a person believes about Jesus and what he thinks about sin, and that will tell you a whole lot. To think correctly about Jesus, listen to me, to think correctly about Jesus, you must also think correctly about sin. Because when we see sin for what it is, we'll immediately see our need for a Savior. And that's John's hope for us in our verses this morning. He wants us to see the absolute blackness of sin, the overwhelming horror of sin, so that we can see our great need. But listen, such a great darkness, such a great darkness as man's sin is exposed only by the perfect light of God. And that's where we're going to begin this morning, my friends, with God. Listen to verse 5, if you would. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, I want you to notice something, okay? I want you to notice that before John actually gets to us, he talks about God. You see, the Christian life begins with God, not with us. And here in verse 5, we begin with a message from God about God. It says, this is the message we have heard from him. John's apostolic authority comes from what he learned from Jesus. The text says, Jesus gave John this message. And he gave it to him with a purpose. To boldly proclaim it to the world. You see, this message is the gospel message. The message about the one who would reconcile sinful man to God the Father. The message concerning Jesus, who was identified last week as the God-man. That which was from the beginning The word of life, God the Father's Son, the source of fellowship and the source of joy. God the Father is revealed to us. He's made known to us by the light of his Son. And here in verse 5, we see God's revelation about himself. But what is this revelation? What is it that Jesus told to John? Well, as you see, there are actually two parts to this message. Okay, first, the first part is God is light. God is light. And so foregoing all the titles and descriptors found in the scripture, John, who is a great theologian, sums up the majesty and splendor of God by simply saying, God is light. But what does that mean? What does something like that mean? In what sense is God light? Well, what does light do? Light enables vision. It produces growth. It reveals beauty and exposes blemishes. It guides travelers. When John says God is light, he's sharing an understanding of light that symbolizes both knowledge and purity. You see, in the Old Testament, when referencing God, light symbolizes communication, what God reveals, and character, who God is. And listen, this Old Testament imagery is echoed in the New Testament and embodied in Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus announced, this is what he said, I am the light of the world. He said, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. 
He said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus, as the light, brings to this dark world true knowledge. He brings moral purity. And he serves as the revelation of the very presence of God. And so truth, holiness, and glory, that's what it means for God to be light. But as the light, Jesus does one more thing. He brings life. Right? He brings life. In his gospel, John says this. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later in that same gospel, Jesus says this. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the visible manifestation of God's glory. He is the voice of God communicating all truth. He is absolute holiness and purity, manifesting the perfections of God. But he's also the word of life. And this word exposes our sin, resurrects our dead hearts, and leads us back into relationship with the Father. In our God, there is light that leads to life. And John says, in him, there is not the slightest hint of death or darkness. Not the slightest hint. The second part of this message, of John's message found in verse 5, is that God is not darkness. Our text says, and in him is no darkness at all. The literal Greek says, there is no darkness in him, none. That's a double negative, right? Bad English grammar, but very good theology. This is an emphatic denial. John says, not only is God light, but there is absolutely no darkness in him. Not one trace of darkness. In God, there is no stain or moral imperfection. In God, there is no fault, no failure, no falsehood. In God, there is no deceit or dishonesty. He's making a big point about that, my friends. But why? Why is that so important? Why is that idea so important? Why is John making a big deal about that? Well, darkness is used as a metaphor to describe sin. And think about what kind of God most sinners desire. What kind of God do sinners desire? Well, a God who is indulgent of sin. A God who will close his eyes to disobedience. A God who will always reward and never punish. A God who can be bargained with, bribed, and bought off. But friends, that's not who God says he is. The message John heard from Jesus is that God is light and in him is no darkness. In God, there is no tolerance for sin. God hates sin because it destroys, perverts, corrupts, steals, and kills. And God wants his people to see sin and hate it. He wants us to hate sin. And so as we continue, as we continue here in our verses, John makes three, three if we say statements. Okay? If we say statements, and these statements are directed toward professing Christians. All right? Remember that. These are directed towards professing Christians. These if we say statements are fired across the bow of every Christian person for whom the word sin is beginning to lose its meaning. You see, sin is serious. It radically affects our relationship with God. And if you remember, fellowship was a major theme in last week's verses. It is the apostolic truth, the apostles' teaching, that unites us in fellowship to the church and to God. Right? That's what we said last week. To hold the hand of God, you must hold the hand of the apostles. But I want you to notice something here. Okay, from the verses that we've read. Truth is not only something to be believed, it's something to be lived out. Did you hear that? Truth is not only something to be believed, it's something to be lived out. We are not Christian atheists, okay? 
Those who affirm God with their words, but deny Him with their lives. No, absolutely not. If my life does not match my words, then something's terribly wrong. Okay? Something is terribly wrong with my theology. Friends, there is a huge difference between cheap talk and an authentic walk. Listen to me. If you don't live the truth, then you don't actually believe the truth. You don't believe it. And you know what? You know what that actually means? It means your obedience is important. Your obedience is evidence that you believe Jesus is who he says he is. Your obedience testifies that you believe Jesus is God in the flesh. And so John moves us very quickly from the acknowledgement that God is light to what it means to live in that light. You see, there are practical implications for those of us who confess truth about God. If we are to have authentic, real fellowship with God, we must be holy as He is holy. Right? That's what the Bible says. Be holy as He is holy. But how in the world do we do that? Right? How do we do that? Well, let's turn to verses 6 and 7 and see what God's Word says. If we say we have fellowship with Him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But... But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Friends, John speaks very bluntly here. He doesn't have time for games, okay? Christianity is not a hobby for him. He begins with the first if-we-say statement and says this. A person claiming closeness with God while walking in the world's darkness has either broken fellowship with God or never actually had fellowship in the first place. John says if someone claims to be in fellowship with God and yet the way he lives is characterized by a sinful behavior, he's lying. And listen to me. Church, this is what commandment number three, the third commandment, is really talking about. Okay, this is taking the Lord's name in vain. Taking the Lord's name in vain means taking God's name unto yourself, right? Taking that name unto yourself. In this instance, calling yourself a Christian and then living a life that brings discredit and dishonor to God. Reflecting a false image of God. Walking in a way that misrepresents the name of God. John says, walking in darkness. One of the common New Testament metaphors used to describe conduct is the word walk. Walk expresses the idea of behavior or lifestyle. And John says, it is an impossibility for one who has been raised to life by the light of God to then walk in a habitual, consistent, continuous pattern of sin. And you have to understand those last few words, okay? A habitual, consistent, continuous pattern of sin. All right? Just to be clear, what's being referred to here isn't a life lived in repentance, okay? Right? This isn't what John's talking about, where we sin and repent. Friends, Christians continue to sin. All right? But our lives aren't defined by sin. What's being referred to here is a life of unrepentant rebellion against God and His Word. A life characterized by sin. A life merely passed off as Christian. And John gives no assurance to such a person. Instead, he says, we cannot claim to have fellowship with God and continue to walk in the darkness of sin. Why? Because in God, there is no darkness. And so God's people, those who profess to be his children, must be distinguishable from the rest of the world. As distinguishable as light is from darkness. If we say we have fellowship with God, that God is our intimate friend known in light and life, 
and yet we walk in darkness, chasing after the sin and spiritual death of the world, we lie and do not practice or live out the truth. Those are hard words, friends. Those are hard words. But notice John's correction in verse 7. Okay, And this is going to be the pattern, right? He's going to present a false view and give us a correction. right? Listen to what he says in verse 7. But, but, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In verse 7, John presents the very opposite scenario as verse 6. He says the Christian, saved by grace, is meant to live a life of truth and holiness. A life meant to reflect the character of God. And so once saved by grace, we continue in grace by walking in the light. See, but how are we enabled to do that? Because it doesn't come naturally to us. So how are we enabled to walk in the light? Well, through the power of God's word. The power of the Spirit and the Word. The Bible says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your Word is a lamp to my feet. You see, God's Word, His commandments, are grace to us. They teach us how to live day by day in a way that pleases God and avoids sin. You see, that's why we need to be in the Word. That's why you need to be in the Word. When you read and study the Bible, you discover where your life is bringing glory to God, right? The areas of your life that are bringing glory to God. But you also see where your life is contradicting God's will, right? That's one of the things that we see by by being in God's Word. But not only that, listen to me, the only way you can know God is through His Word, which means the only way you can love God is through His Word. Friends, listen to me. How can you love a God that you don't know? How can you do that? Well, you can't. You must know him so that you can love him. And interestingly enough, Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What does that mean? It means in order to love Jesus, you must keep his commandments. But in order to keep his commandments... You must know them. But in order to know them, you must read his word. You must know what he's expecting from you in his word. And so do you see how truth and love and obedience are intertwined here? They're not at war with each other like some Christians would have them be. They're necessary complements of our faith. You see, for Christian people, listen to me, friends, for Christian people... We must have truth. We must have doctrine. We must have knowledge. Those are not optional, okay? But for Christian people, that truth must be lived out and not just consumed. All right? We don't just consume truth. It has to be lived out in practice. Truth is meant to be lived out. In fact, it's our knowledge of God that is the fuel for our Christian living and our Christian loving. And so listen, this is God's message to us this morning, delivered by his servant John. He says, now that you've been made new in Christ, live like it. Live like it. If you died with Christ and you've been raised with Christ, then act and speak and think so as to make it plain that this death and resurrection is no mere figure of speech, but that it's a real event, an event that severed the chains that bound you to the dominion of sin and darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of light. John says, walk in the light. And that seems like such a simple idea, doesn't it? That a Christian person would walk in the light. But it's one being met with increasingly vocal resistance in God's church. You see, there are many people who claim to love God, but then bristle at the idea that Christians are to live as Christians. You see, there's a growing movement in the church that says God's grace prohibits any expectation for obedience. 
right? God's grace prohibits us talking about obedience. In fact, any teaching on obedience is legalistic and stifling and even harmful to the Christian. But friends, that couldn't be further from the truth, okay? Don't listen to people saying that. As a matter of fact, this hyper-grace movement is an outright denial of biblical teaching, okay? It denies the truth of the Bible, The book of Romans says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You see, obedience is good. The law of God is good. But here's the problem. Okay? Here's the problem. Sin corrupts what God has shown us is good. Right? And anything in the hands of men will be corrupted. So listen, this is the problem with with a right view, seeing, seeing God's law rightly. This is what our brother Charles Spurgeon says. He says, Some men hold God's law like a rod in terror over Christians and say, If you sin, you will be punished with it. It is not so. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. We are not under the law, but under grace. Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us. The law is good and excellent if it keeps its place. God's truth, His law, is good. And it has a purpose in the life of a Christian. It doesn't save us, my friends. That's not its purpose. It keeps us walking on the path of life. And verse 7 says, there are two things that result from walking in the light. First, we have fellowship with one another. And second, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Listen to me. As we walk in God's light, we are bound together in fellowship with other Christians who are walking in God's light. But you have to remember something, okay? Fellowship doesn't simply mean standing in the same room at church with somebody drinking coffee, okay? That's not what John is talking about when he he says fellowship. It means being united in deep, meaningful relationships with one another, celebrating together what we all share in common. And you remember what that is? What is it that all of us share in common despite our histories, our backgrounds, our ethnicities? Jesus. We share Jesus in common. Christians share a mutual object of affection. We love the Lord Jesus Christ. And His love for us causes us to love one another. But friends, listen to me. Sin breaks that fellowship. Sin keeps us at odds with one another. I'm going to share a little something that I wasn't sure I was going to share. Last weekend, and this might shock you, it shouldn't, but your pastor is a sinner, a great sinner. Last weekend, Sarah and I fought for most of that weekend. We got into a little fight that spiraled out of control, and I don't even remember what it was about. But we wasted an entire weekend together. Our fellowship was broken because of sin. And you know what happened? It wasn't contained with just us. It sort of emanated off of us like stink lines in a cartoon, right? You remember, what was his name? Pigpen from Peanuts, right? He, he had stink lines coming off of him. That's what sin does, my friends. It's not contained to just you. It emanated off of us, and especially from me, to the point where someone who we went over to spend some time with thought, is he mad at me? No, but that's what sin does. It begins to impact other people, right? Sin is deadly and it's destructive and it breaks fellowship. It, it tempts us to make our home in the darkness, right? But listen to what God says. He says, there's no better place to deal with sin than in the light. No one realizes his deepening need of heart cleansing as much as the one who walks in the increasing light of fellowship. 
There's no better place to be than in the light, right, to deal with your sin. There's no better method of having your sin exposed than doing life together, right? God is using the church to transform you, right? We aren't meant to do Christianity alone. God's plan for us includes the church, When we walk with others in the light, our hidden and unsuspected sins are revealed. Okay? There's no better place, no better method for having your sin exposed than doing life side by side with other sinners who need their sin exposed. And listen to me. God is faithful to expose it. Okay? For the Christian person, sin is not a thing of the past. And in fact, it's our ongoing mutual battle with sin That's just another way our complete dependence on Christ is being made known to us. Okay? God is using our exposed sin to push us towards Jesus Christ. The second thing that we have when we walk in the light is cleansing from that sin. You see, the ground of our fellowship, the reason we have fellowship with one another and with God is the blood of Jesus. When John references the blood of Jesus, what he means is the death of Christ on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for those who repent and believe. That's what the blood of Jesus means. When we come to Jesus, placing ourselves under the protection of his blood, the penalty for our sin is removed. We are saved from the penalty of sin. But listen, practically speaking... We still, stu- we still suffer the effects of living in a sinful, fallen world. Sin still dwells in every single one of us. In Romans chapter 7, listen to what Paul says. Paul laments the ongoing sin in his life with these words. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And then in deep anguish, he cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? Friends, our own hearts and minds are polluted by sin. You see, even after they pull the leaking oil tanker from the water, what it leaves behind is devastation, pollution, corruption that needs to be cleansed and purified. And that's the state of the redeemed sinner, saved but polluted. And God undertakes the process of sanctification, right? He he meets that need through sanctification. He washes us and cleanses us. And that's the answer to Paul's question, okay? God, God is delivering us from this body of death. And he's doing it through the blood of Jesus. When we walk in God's light, that light exposes us for who we really are. And who we really are are sinners. Sinners who need grace. Sinners who need to be saved from sin's power. And listen, thankfully, the benefits of Christ's death for us don't end at salvation. Because of his great love for us, because of his great love for us, God is about the work of killing sin in his children, of purging sin from his children. And so God lavishes upon us the ongoing benefits of Christ's work. And these ongoing benefits are felt day by day and are used to transform us into the image of Jesus. Listen, we were all saved at a particular moment in time from the penalty of sin. But we are daily being saved from the power of sin in our lives. And that's accomplished through the cleansing power of Christ's blood. You see, when we sin, listen, this is one of the the good news of the Bible here. When we sin, we're not removed from God's family, okay? Our adoption is certain. Our forgiveness is guaranteed. But sin does soil us. It causes us to feel dirty and unclean. It breaks fellowship. And the consequences of our sin is guilt. And so John says the Christian cannot ignore the reality of sin. 
In fact, every single day he must rely on the only thing that can wash away his sin, the blood of Christ. The way we move forward in truth and in love and in obedience is by clinging to the cross of Christ, by walking in the light. And friends, that happens as we confess our sin, okay? As we confess our sin to God. In verses 5 through 7, John has shown us the basis of our fellowship with God. And now in verses 8 through 10, he says, this fellowship with God continues on the basis of our willingness to confess our sins. Confession is very important in the life of a Christian. But let me ask you a question before we get to this final section. You don't have to answer out loud, okay, don't worry. What's your favorite sin? The sin you keep returning to over and over and over again. The one that you just can't seem to give up. The one that you love. Are you able to admit that there is a sin that there are sins that you can you continue to struggle with? Can you admit that? Or does the very suggestion that you struggle with sin make you angry? Well, verse 8 begins with the second, if we say, statement. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. It seems nearly impossible that a Christian person would ever make such a claim as that found in those verses. But John says some do. You see, these verses aren't referring to unbelievers. These verses are referring to believers. And these believers typically fall into two camps. Christians, Christian people who essentially either deny sin's existence because they just hate the doctrine of sin and refuse to talk about it. Or Christian people who claim to who have achieved some state of sinless perfection. Right? But both of those are terribly wrong. And both of those diminish the beauty and necessity of the gospel. Listen to me, friends. Over the course of the last ten years, I've had the great joy of witnessing with my own eyes my five children being born. I've seen them come into the world. And they were all lovely. They were beautiful. But the one thing they weren't was innocent. You see, like all of us, they were born guilty before God. Not because of anything they had done, but because by nature they were sinners. Sinners in need of forgiveness and renewal. Sinners in need of a Savior. And to deny that fact places them in eternal peril. John teaches that if we say we have no sin, two things result. First, we are self-deceived. In verses 6 and 7, John said that by claiming fellowship with God while walking in darkness, essentially we were lying to others. But here he says we're lying to ourselves. We're leading ourselves astray. By refusing to admit the impact of sin in our lives, by choosing to ignore the evidence of sin in our lives, we have become self-deceivers. Well, friends, listen. Burying your head in the sand like an ostrich doesn't eliminate the real danger of sin in your life. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And it doesn't mean it's hidden from God. The second result of saying we have no sin is that the truth is not in us. Like we said earlier, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Okay, But we are being saved from the power of sin. And the truth that's illuminated for us when we walk in God's light is that Christians can and do continue to sin, which means we continue to need a Savior. We are not done with Christ the moment we're saved, right? And He is not done with us, okay? That's one of the great hopes, that He is not done with us yet. 
We are still dependent on the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. A Christian who thinks he is no longer capable of sinning is self-deceived and is not living according to the truth of the gospel. But, but remember, now we're going to look at the correction, right? John gives us the grace of a correction in verse 9. See, he's made a big point about the reality of sin, the destructiveness of sin, but now he offers us a solution. He says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, there are only two options when it comes to sin. You can either cover it up or you can confess it. Sin dirties our Christian life. It pulls us away from God. It causes us to lose our peace and our joy. It breaks fellowship. And confession is like a good shower. It washes that away. And so confession should always be our natural response when we become aware of sin in our life. That should be our natural response. But unfortunately... Human nature complicates that, right? Instead of allowing God's word to guide us, we allow pride and fear and the devil to guide us. We're moved by a false understanding of God and a false view of ourselves. And so when faced with our sin, this is what we do many of the times, right? Many times we choose to either run away from God because we're afraid that he'll reject us or... We simply deny our sin because we convince ourselves that it doesn't really exist. But neither of those will help you. Okay? Neither of those will help you. When we sin, God desires that we run to him for comfort and restoration, not away from him into darkness. Did you hear that? Christian friend, God loves you. He doesn't want you to run away from Him. He's not waiting on some cloud in heaven to lob lightning bolts at you. He desires fellowship and restoration. Okay? You see, the way we keep moving forward in this Christian life isn't to be fearful of our God. It isn't to hide from God. It isn't to cover up our sin. It's to participate in the blessing of confession. See, confession is another of God's many graces to us. But what does it mean to confess our sin? Well, the word confess means to say the same thing as. When you confess sin, you're agreeing with God that what he says is true. What he says about himself is true, and what he says about you is true. And that's the point being made in verse 10. See, in John's third if we say statement, John says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Church, God says that we're sinners and we dishonor God when we deny what he says. But when we confess our sin, we come to the place where we honestly agree with God. We're aligning ourselves with God. The act of confession is an admission of guilt. It's an admission that God is holy. It's an admission that you need a Savior. And listen, thankfully, like we said, sin doesn't cause us to lose our salvation. It doesn't harm our sonship. What it does is wound our relationship with God. And so Christians can't deny sin. We must confess it. Initially to receive salvation, but then to continue in holy fellowship with God. You see, part of the solution John gives to the denial of sin is the confession of sin. He says, if there is anything that we are to say, it's not that we have no sin, but rather that we are full of sin from head to toe. Okay? Friend, I hope that you can believe that. (laughs) We are sinners from head to toe. And listen, understanding that truth allows us the freedom to confess our sin to God. It allows us to say the words, forgive me, forgive me, to fall on the grace, the grace and mercy of our God. And you know what? You know what? We can have confidence that God will do just that. 
Confession is also an admission that we trust God. And verse 9, this beautiful verse 9, assures us that when we confess, God acts. God forgives your sin and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And friends, it is vital that we understand that truth. Okay? You have to understand the truth found in 1 John 1, 9. And so we ask, how? How in the world can God be faithful and just to forgive sin in the life of a Christian? Well, we've already heard the answer. Okay, the answer is found in verse 7. The blood of Jesus. God is faithful and just to forgive our sins because of the blood of Jesus. God is faithful to forgive because he has made promises in both the Old and New Testaments that he will forgive our sin if we confess and ask him to do so. And he is just to forgive because he has already punished our sin by placing it on Jesus at the cross. Okay? He can forgive us because our sin has already been punished. God will do what he said he would do. And God will do what is perfectly right. And so you can trust God by participating in the grace of confession. Friends, listen to me. God is light. And walking in that light unites us to one another in fellowship. It unites us to God in fellowship. But it also exposes the darkness that lives within us. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Seeing ourselves in the light of God's truth and holiness isn't cause for fear. It's an opportunity to cling even more tightly to the cross. It's an opportunity to sink even more deeply into the cleansing blood of Jesus. It's an opportunity to hope even more eagerly for that day when we will be saved from the presence of sin. Church, we are sinners. Okay? Don't kill the messenger here. That's the truth. But God is a great Savior. And that's the truth. Verse 9 stands as a brilliant light at the end of sin's tunnel. It tells us there is hope for us. That there's a God who loves us. That there is grace and mercy to be found. And that when we sin and then confess our sin, there's no need for despair. Because God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Friends, listen to me. Because of the love of God shown to you in Jesus Christ, you can know for certain that when you confess your sin, God will embrace you. And with confidence and gratitude, you can speak these words to God. You forgave me. All my guilt is gone. 